This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and today we are joined, I believe this is for the third time, he is the Ringer's very own Benjamin Solak, a.k.a. Ben Solak. Ben, what's going on, man? NFL season's like two days away or 16 or something. I haven't seen a jersey countdown recently. Once I do, I'll know, okay, we're like Peyton Manning days away, we're Tom Brady days away, but we're getting there. We're close. Yeah, we're uh, we're closer than 50 days away uh, in yeah. honor of Teddy Bridgewater wearing number 50 and playing quarterback for the Detroit Lions. We can talk a, a little bit about that. There's a lot of wacky and wonky stuff happening in the world of NFL preseason football. Yesterday, the Los Angeles Chargers, I am in uh, Los Angeles here at Ringer HQ, mm-hmm. and the Los Angeles Chargers played in a hurricane and an earthquake, a.k.a. a hurricane. Ben Solak, did you watch this preseason game? Also, Jameis Winston was playing. And yeah. what are your thoughts about the Chargers playing? playing in the middle of what many consider uh, an epic storm of all proportions in the world of uh, weather coverage. Yeah, the Saints head coach Dennis Allen had the best quote about it, where he was like, they were telling me there was a hurricane, and then there was going to be a, uh, there was an earthquake, and then the refs came up to me and they were like, well, technically this is an outdoor game, so we might have a lightning (laughs) delay. And he was just like, there's a roof, I don't get it. Like, what's like, you don't, you don't, you're not a prep for these things in the regular season, let alone in the preseason. Uh, the only stuff I caught from the game were the highlights of Jameis uh, uh, leaving the touchdown <laughs> drives, slinging the pill around the yard a little bit. Jameis, it was funny, I was poking around uh, stats uh, uh, yesterday, just preparing my anti-Derek Carr arguments. You always have to get those ready for the course Yeah, of, of course. <laughs> and since 2014, since Carr joined the league, over the course of his career, he has a lower expected points added per play than Jameis does over the course of his career. So I'm thinking about doing like a little like wonder when the Saints are going to get their best quarterback in the game tweet, like kind of like week four, week five, after Derek Carr starts to stumble. I think that's my, that's my angle for right now. But Jameis in the preseason is unfair. Like that level of, of talent, plus an also experience against like second and third stringers, that's, uh, that's nightmare fuel. Yeah, three scoring drives for Jameis Winston. He looked like he was pretty much in control. On the other side, you had Easton Stick, which is probably one of the better names in all of football. Yeah. And Easton Stick, he had some good moments. He tried to lead Another the Chargers great back late. Another preseason quarterback. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> covered his experience, a little mobile. It's a good, good guy. Yeah, let's talk about the preseason because I did want to ask you, like, what team has had the biggest, because the preseason is hard to kind of cut through and get people's attention. Like you said, we mostly just watch highlights of these preseason games, but is there, is there a team in the preseason that is quote-unquote winning the pro the preseason at this point i think like i I definitely feel better about the packers after watching jordan love play a few football games than i did than i did previously i think we all knew the packers were a good team because they just have good players and they've had good players for a while the defense is like 
eight first round picks on it right the offensive line is retooled obviously they're a little bit young at wide receiver and you'd like to really have like an emphatic number one breakout guy among christian watson romeo dubs and, and Jaden reed you haven't had that yet i don't that doesn't bother me too much i think that collectively they have enough good talent there the elephant in the room is obviously love and i've liked what i've seen from love when he's played in the regular season but a lot of that has been sporadic and he didn't know he was going to get in the game or he got in a covid game and it's like all right you know now we're going off of preseason we still have yet to get like the the hard cold truth about about uh, jordan love and, and what he's going to be at the nfl level but what you've seen up to this point you've liked and then in the preseason i thought he's looked quite good uh, he looks like he understands the offense he looks accurate his feet look quiet uh so he looks comfortable back there like he knows how it's going to run and that's an encouraging thing right like we forget because of Rogers' time there in Green Bay over the last few years, that Matt LaFleur, who's the head coach, comes from a Rams system, comes from a Sean McVay tree, where they basically tell their quarterback, hey, if you can, like, not screw me over, and if you can just be a solid, good quarterback, dependable, do what I tell you to do, like, this offense can work. And I think that Love can clear that bar. And if they do, I think the Packers have a great shot to be a playoff team. So uh, we still, like, the, the, the regular season's still a thing for Love. What does it look week in, week out? Um, but so far, like, he's checking a lot of the boxes you want him to check. And accordingly, I think the Packers, pretty uh, pretty decent winner so far of the, post, of the preseason. Do you think Matt LaFleur is one of those guys? I was looking at the coach of the year odds. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of value there because no one really knows what it's going to look like, especially the NFL with, you know, is Arthur Smith going to be a guy? He was the third best odds when you look at coach of the year. But Matt LaFleur could be in that mix, right? Let's say Jordan Love has a good year, a solid year, and, and turns out to be a reliable option there for the Packers. Matt LaFleur would be in that conversation, correct? I feel like that might be some value uh, for coach of the year with LaFleur. Yeah, whenever you bet coach of the year, you have to bet one of two things. You bet uh, a first-year coach or a coach mm. with a first-year quarterback. It's one of the two, right? Like, you, you can find some uh, examples where you kind of sneak around it a little bit, right? Like, you can get, like, a like a uh, Nick Sirianni, and it's not really Jalen Hurts' first year, but it's kind of his first year, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, like, his mm-hmm. first year establishment set in. You get guys who have a rookie quarterback a lot, like Harbaugh, the year that they had Lamar get in there. Like, there's... Uh, you've you've uh, uh, Shanahan the first year they have Jimmy right there's there's guys that you want to have when they have, they have a newness and usually what you're looking for is a team that has like a middling win total and then that team ends up with double digit wins right like that's <laughs> that's typically your model for coach of the year uh, Lafleur checks the box in terms of like a first year quarterback because you're getting Jordan Love as, as a first year starter uh, and mm. so I don't mind that look at all the problem is Matt Lafleur is one of the winningest coaches in NFL history just by purely win loss record. Uh, like it, it, he, uh, he's got like a better win loss record over like the first few seasons of his career than like I feel like it's like every Hall of Fame coach or something like that. It's like a ludicrous stat that Packers fans have. Lafleur's been doing this for long enough and successfully enough that we know he's a really good coach. So if it comes down to Lafleur and like Arthur Smith, who you brought up, who like we think Arthur Smith's a good head coach, but we haven't really seen it yet. Smith's probably going to get the push because he feels like the new thing. He feels like the shiny thing. He feels like the exciting thing, right? Uh, and so I don't mind Lafleur for it at all, and I think. LaFleur coach of the year is a fun way to get a nice long odd exposure on like a really good Packer season because Jordan Love ain't winning MVP you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like the, you gotta you gotta find a way to kind of get some exposure for that outcome where the Packers win 11 games 12 games so that, that's a good angle for it it's just there are pitfalls there 
Yeah, so the Packers have made the biggest impression so far in the preseason. Let's talk about players. One of the mm-hmm. names that I think has come to the forefront, and Doug Peterson is shutting him down, but Nathan Rourke, uh, the the CFL quarterback who came in and made some noise. He obviously did it against the Cowboys, so people did see this. Uh, but Doug Peterson says there is no battle uh, for the number two QB spot down in Jacksonville. So uh, the the story of this you know you know hero that we did not expect at any level, Nathan Rourke might yeah. be coming to an end soon he's one name that kind of came to the forefront preseason are there other players that have stood out to you that you're like okay this guy's starting to build his story here yeah firstly uh, you can find some some uh some ben solak nathan rourke tweets back from the day 2018 all right you can find some, you saw uh, the some, vision oh yeah uh, i was like doing like big draft coverage at the time like that was i was like 365 i was doing the nfl draft and rourke was right. this Spunky little quarterback for the Bobcats, Max Champions, <laughs> playing on a Wednesday night, making some plays. He was a lot of fun. Um, I'm not surprised he was successful enough in the CFL to find a shot in the NFL. Now, functionally, like he's got a height, height weight problem, right? Like he's just not the size you want for an NFL quarterback, arm strength deficiency. So it's probably a, a career practice squad, you know, rotational guy outcome for Rourke, but that ain't too shabby when you're playing quarterback in the MAC. Right. You, you grow for that. His brother, by the way, is the new Ohio quarterback. Does not have a height weight problem. Does not have an arm strength problem. Mm. So the young Rourke, one to, one to watch uh, during Maction this year. Uh, I like it. Rourke's been fun. Uh, like, I think that if you're Houston, you like what you've seen from C.J. Stroud. You like what you've seen from Will Anderson. Tank Dell's obviously had a nice preseason for them as well. I'm worried about how you get Tank Dell enough safe snaps when it comes to regular season football just because he's so small at 5'8", 165. That's my size, man. Like, I don't know about putting that. Uh, mm. on, on the field at wide receiver. But I think you like what you've seen from, from Stroud and from Anderson. Uh, Cowboys have gotten a nice play to Deuce Vaughn. They're, they're running back into Kansas State. That's the 5'5 kid, a little mighty mouse. He's a lot of fun. Jalen Tolbert as well has been their third-round pick uh, wide receiver out of Southern Alabama uh, two seasons ago now. They need him to be, I think, better. He was a, a big part of their plans last year. Didn't really come to fruition. And Michael Gallup coming off of that, that ACL injury is not the same player he was. And so getting good season out of Tolbert, I think it would be really nice. There's a lot of fun young guys who I think are playing well uh, across preseason right now. They're, uh, uh, NFL teams are getting better and better at getting good play out of like lower-level quarterbacks. And accordingly, you get these like Dorian Thompson-Robinson games for the Browns. Mm. You get these like, Aiden O'Connell games for the Raiders. where They're just slinging it, man. They've got five years of college experience. They know where their bread is butter. They know what they're good at. And they just get out there, and they, and they have fun, and they, and they produce. And that makes for a, a very watchable preseason, which is good. Yeah, and also it is weird this year with the rosters, right? There's only really one deadline where you have to cut it down to the 53-man roster. It's not these waves of cuts. So teams have been cutting, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of at their own accord at this point. It is not the usual rundown that we've learned through hard knocks, really, right? That's where the general public kind of understood the way that the rosters were constructed. How different is that kind of covering these teams, knowing that, you know, guys are cut here and there, but it's going to be a little bit different than it usually is? So the biggest change, I think, is that you don't have that moment where someone gets cut from another team when they move the rosters down to 75, mm-hmm. and you grab him, and you see if in a week you can figure out if he's worth sticking on your 53 or not. Like That's one of the, I think, the, the, the larger changes. The, the enormous first wave of cuts, that only wave of cuts, I should say, is so big that it's, I think, a little bit easier to hide a guy uh, from other teams and sneak him onto your practice squad. Like right now, like the, the Eagles are figuring that out right now with their quarterback Tanner McKee right he was a six-round pick out of Stanford he's had a great preseason has been remarkably better than Marcus Mariota but Mariota is definitely going to be their backup to Jalen Hurts he brings like a similar skill set and they paid him this money right well 
if you cut McKee, if you don't keep him on the 53, you're going to expose him to waivers. The rest of the teams are going to have a chance to grab him. And everybody just evaluated McKee. Like, they let him fall to the sixth round, but everybody's got a scouting report on him. So if you're, like, a bad team, you're the Cardinals, and you feel like you just want to, like, bring some developmental quarterbacks in and see if you have a guy for the future, the Buccaneers, the Rams, you know, you're just trying to develop dudes, you might go snag Tanner McKee off waivers, right? And, and, and if you're the Eagles, you have to gauge the risk of that against the issue of, okay, let's just keep Tanner McKee on the 53-man roster. It's not exposed from the waivers, but now we have one less spot to bring that sixth corner that we actually want on game day, that fifth wide receiver that we actually want on game day. So that, that calculus right there, like who do we cut, who do we protect from waivers, that changes when there's only one round of cuts. You can hide guys maybe a little bit easier versus those two rounds of cuts last year. You'd cut a dude and another team would snag and pick him up and see what, see what he looked like for a week. Yeah, I call that the Danny Woodhead. You know, the Jets would have mm-hmm. Danny Woodhead in camp. He would get all this love, and then he gets cut. And then, you know, Bill Belichick is like, that's my guy. Let's get him on our team. So, uh, and I also thought it was fascinating. Every player, pretty much, that the Eagles have waived has signed with another team pretty much immediately. So, it seems like the other teams from the outside looking in, when they see talent in Philadelphia, when they get waived, they're immediately jumping on. So, yeah. uh, that that's another fascinating phenomenon. I want to talk about the Detroit Lions because everyone is hyped up about the Lions. And you wrote an article for the Ringer, uh, you know, about their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who is, uh, I have to admit, a North Carolina Tar Heel. So I'm excited about this. Uh, Our guy. Uh, So what did you learn about Ben Johnson and why do you believe in what he's able to do with his Lions offense? Yeah, it's fun to watch uh, these practices and just kind of see how the guys operate. Ben Johnson's one of the more relaxed no, relax is the wrong word. Not insane coaches I've seen <laughs> in terms of how he behaves on a sideline. And that's compared to his head coach, I feel like that's probably nice. You need a little bit then, of little, yeah. little this, little that. And particularly the defensive side of the ball. You want to you want to name some names. You want to name some guys right now. You remember Aaron Glenn, cornerback for the mm. Jets. He's the DC, right? Kelvin Shepard, longtime linebacker, Dolphins. He's the line, uh, the linebackers coach. Dre Bly, who was a cornerback for the Lions for years. He's the cornerbacks coach. So the entire defensive coaching staff in Detroit is like all ex-players. And they just go bananas the entire practice. So on the field, <laughs> screaming, reaming into guys, calling plays, personnel, get out here going nuts. And the offensive sideline is totally quiet, right? And and usually when a sideline is, is, is very quiet and like well managed and efficient and 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 like kind of clinical. It's usually a coach who's got like a bajillion years of experience where right? he's been doing this for forever, right? Like Andy Reid on the sideline. You don't see Andy get too high or too low. Like Andy's been living. You know, like he doesn't got he doesn't gotta do the do the do the whole the whole thing and the whole charade. Ben Johnson's like thirty five, man. Like he's he uh, uh, his his passing game coordinator, Tanner Engstrom, describes him to me as as uh, clean, clear and concise, right? We're just like we are no nonsense all business over here. So he's a very like detailed and specific and thoughtful dude extremely uncomfortably intense to talk to if we're being honest just stares right into your soul and just like doesn't give up the eye contact but that was a really good thing for jared goff it was a really good thing for this offense because since he's so intentional he's so thoughtful they did an unbelievable job in year one like ben johnson was a total unknown he never called plays we no one had any idea what this offense was going to look like and they just pulled pieces of the rams offense that worked for for goff 2017 2018 a little bit of mcveigh this a little bit of mcveigh that and wonderfully blended it and, and, and grafted it into this running game, this power running game, gap power, counter, traps, pulls, whams, just like 
unbelievable physicality in your face vertical running game in a way that no one else has right like like mcveigh's been trying to find ways to marry his passing game with this running game and has failed and ben johnson just did it like a year and just Mm. resurrected jared goff's career and to me that's that's astonishing now the question is can you do it in year two right can you make this consistent can you do this reliably because if you can ben johnson who got three head coaching interviews last year he called plays for the first time in 2022 got three head coaching interviews he's gonna be head coach somewhere else in 2024 and so this is the window for the lions here if this guy's really an offensive savant the way he seems get the defense right win the north win a playoff game make a push here because i think you're gonna lose better ben johnson sooner than you think yeah, and the win totals, uh, the Lions, nine and a half wins uh, this season. So, uh, you know, it looks like Vegas is buying into the idea that the Lions are going to win a lot of football games. The under is actually plus 100 on nine and a half. So I don't know how many times we've seen that with the Detroit Lions where they have that type of situation. And like you mentioned, Jared Goff, when he is protected, um, which they've been able to do, he is a really good quarterback for this team. And obviously it did not work out in Los Angeles. He gets to a Super Bowl. They upgrade. They get Stafford. They go win a Super Bowl. But Jared Goff has been able to find success and the Lions offense it felt like last year they were one of the most prolific offenses the entire season every time you looked at a score they put up 35 41 whatever it may be and that was behind Goff and and behind a good offensive line and behind a good running game and yes they replaced those running backs but it sounds like by you know by all accounts Dan Campbell thinks that their running back core is going to be better than than it was last year which is wild to say I kind of agree too uh like Jamal Williams was a money printing machine on any time <laughs> touchdown bet i i don't think the the good people at fanduel and fanduel tv are fans of jamal williams for his <laughs> consistent touchdown scoring uh but jamal was just like a good short yardage guy for them because they had such a good backfield or excuse me they had such a good uh, offensive line right they're so good in short yardage because the guys up there are doing the moving and jamal's just staying on on his path DeAndre Swift was a talented player, but Swift couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay on the field. They're a big toughness team, and DeAndre Swift just nagging injuries kind of kept him out from the field, kept him from being effective. And that's not really the direction they wanted to go at that position. David Montgomery is a tough son of a gun, and he's really good short yardage. So I think that, like, firstly, there's so much excitement on, on Jameer Gibbs, who's a rookie, top 15 pick, sexy out of Alabama, pass catcher. Oh, it's exciting. I think David Montgomery is going to be a huge part of this team. I think Montgomery has just been a great back when he's in Chicago, and if he's healthy, going to be a great back uh, in Detroit. Then you get to use Gibbs as, as a mismatch weapon. And that's where the Lions are really cool. Like the Lions threw passes last year to their offensive tackle, right? They line up um, Amon Ross St. Brown in the backfield and legit hand it off to him as a, as a wide receiver. Like they are very willing. They're not afraid to use players in really unique ways. And that's the plan with, with Gibbs is to take this running back and line him up as, as a receiver. You're right. They were like a top five offense last year by, uh, by EPA. They were top 10 by DVOA. I expect them to be so again. And even if teams like figure out some of the gags and find ways to get more pressure on golf and they catch up a little bit to what Ben Johnson's doing since not the first year, they've really tried to pour resources into the talent here, right? They have Monroe St. Brown as a star, but then you have a, a first round pick at running back. You have a, a second round pick at tight end, Sam Laporta, who they love rookie. And then you have Jameson Williams, who, I mean, they traded the farm, traded up to go get this guy, misses a lot of his first year with an injury, and now he's going to miss part of his second year with a suspension. They very desperately need him to be good, to get on the field and produce. If he does, it's a lights-out offense.
Yeah, and talking about that offense, one last thing I want to hit on with this Lions team. I, I talked about it at the top of the show. Teddy Bridgewater is usually typically wearing number five when he plays quarterback. Um, this year, one through 19, those numbers are available to anybody. So there's a lot of guys taking the traditional quarterback numbers. He comes to Detroit. He wants to wear number five. It is already taken. Um, there was four available. There was, I think, 17 was available. But he says, I still want five on my jersey. So he just adds a zero. So if we had a guy wearing number 50 playing quarterback for the Lions. Okay. One, how insane is that? And two, is this going to keep up? Is he going to keep number 50 as the backup? Because that's insane. I think it's such a good bit. I absolutely love it. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend it. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, Ridiculous. Is he going to keep doing it? I really hope so. I really, <laughs> really want to bet like the passing yards over on a guy wearing 50. To me, that's, just, that's, that's a hilarious time to be cheering for that. Teddy, man, like, at least he's good, right? Like, if it were, like, right. a right, like a third-round rookies, third-string guy, whatever, is doing this, you'd be like, all right, chillax. Like, you got to, you know, like, you got to establish yourself first. Teddy, like, you know, Teddy's been around. Teddy's a great vet. He's going to be good for the guys in the room, and he's wearing 50, showing that he's still young. He's still got some jokes to him. I, I, I absolutely love it. I think it's a good move for the offensive line also. You know what I mean? Like Sewell's Support wearing 58, right? You just look like you're you're just one of the guys. Maybe Teddy gets a little bit of padding in there to make himself look a little bit th- thicker, a little beefier. Yeah, get, get so that, bigger shoulder pads, yeah. Yeah, right. He can just be with the you know the broad shoulder boys and uh, and get out there and go get some touchdowns. I like him as a backup as well, just in case, Go- you know, if Goff does go down, you have a veteran. Yeah. Um, it, it does feel like the Lions are the favorite in the NFC North. I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's ever been something that that's been uttered before the season, but is that really the case? Like the Lions should be. Obviously, you got yeah. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings um, that are going to be in that conversation as well. We mentioned the Packers, but it does feel like this is the Lions' year. Yeah, they're plus one forty-five right now to win the division on FanDuel. Vikings are next closest at plus two forty. Mm. I think that's probably a little too confident on the Lions, but I do think that it's appropriate that the Lions are are, are the favorite in the division. The um the the question for the Lions is the defense, right? Uh, they dramatically retooled this secondary. Uh, Johnson Garner-Johnson at safety is new. Brian Branch at safety is a new draft pick. Cam Sutton is a new corner on the outside. Emmanuel Mosley, who's banged up, but they're hoping he's going to play, is the other new corner on the outside. Four of the five starters for this secondary should be new players entering this season. Then you have a first-round pick, linebacker out of Iowa, which we love a linebacker out of Iowa, Jack Campbell. Uh, they've got Aiden Hutchinson there on the outside, who they want to yep. be a double-digit sack guy. They have a huge cadre of rushers opposite him. Josh Pascal, James Houston, John Kaminsky, Charles Harris. they got tons of guys, and they're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get 15 sacks out of these two starting edge rushers? It is a, uh, a committee effort there, but they've put resources in, and they were a really tough defense down the stretch. They were bottom five by DVOA. They just have to be a little better. You don't got to be like, you know, uh, uh, winning games on our defense, holding them to 13 points, top 10 unit. Just get a couple stops in the fourth quarter. They couldn't do it against the Eagles in week one, Vikings in week three, the Bills on Thanksgiving. They just couldn't get that, that last stop to pay off the offense for those 30-point games with an actual W. Get a couple more of those, you're winning the division. Yeah, I like it. And you also got Dre Bly in the building. So I know Dre Bly is going to be fired up. So uh, we, we love what watch. we see. Yeah, he's always great. I uh, would love to see that for the Lions.
I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, they're on hard knocks. We got to see him in week one meet, meet you know, the voice of God, as he called him. I don't think he's the first person to call Leif Schreiber that, but that's beyond the point. Um, so hard knocks is happening. One, you know, before we get into the nuts and bolts of it all, are you watching hard knocks? Are you locked in? It does feel like for the first time in a, in a little bit of a while, the general public seems to be locked in on what's happening with the New York Jets, especially on hard knocks. I have never watched Hard Knocks, and it's unlikely that I ever do. Uh, I love it. I catch the clips on the timeline, and I'm I'm happy to watch them. They always bring in the mentalist dude, and he freaks the players out. That's a fun time. Yeah, card tricks. Yeah, I I saw the guess the play action fake or not. I thought that was fun. In general, though, like, I don't, I like football, and I don't like reality TV, and this this is reality TV, and they're pretending it's football, and it's a trick, and I don't respect it. Uh, and I, 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 don't, uh, I don't enjoy much watching it. I will forever, however, appreciate Hard Knocks for giving us one of the greatest football coaches clips of all times, which was Brown's defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, sitting in an office chair, just with his legs apart, just screaming, put your balls in the C-gap. That's it. That, that, Hard Knocks <laughs> gave me that, and that's the only thing I'll ever need. Everything else after that is just extra. I am so happy to hear this. I love when we get a zag in this world and uh, we don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of it. Look, it's happening. Aaron Rodgers is having a field day. They are covering him exactly how he wants to be covered. So it's good news for Aaron Rodgers. I do want to talk about Aaron Rodgers, the football side of this. Mm -hmm. He is going to make his preseason debut for the Jets. Uh, This is his first preseason game since 2018. Is this good news? And also Aaron Rodgers, he's talking about not just this year, not just next year. He's even using the phrase, I might be here for a few years. So Jets fans should be excited, correct? Uh, that's if you believe things that Aaron Rodgers says, which I okay, do not make right. a habit of doing. Uh, I, think that our, I think the number one lesson we should learn from the long and painful dissolution of, of Rodgers' relationship with the Packers over the last two, two-plus years is we should just not necessarily take uh, his, his word at face value. And so I'm going to believe he plays the next game for the Jets, let alone the next season for the Jets, when I see him play that next game and in in that next season. Mm. I don't mind. I don't think the preseason thing is, a, is an enormous deal. Uh, he stopped playing in the preseason in large part because that was Matt LaFleur's perspective on playing starters in the preseason. Like I said, he was a McVay coach. Those guys tend not to play their starters in the preseason. Uh, and Rodgers obviously was getting a little long in the tooth. Now you're in New York entirely new uh, set of weapons every rep's gonna help right like it's i don't think it's a a negative thing to go and get your guys out there and say okay you know against a a different defense a little bit of a live action let's go and let's uh let's get a few more reps let's feel this out now i wouldn't be calling any drop back that's longer than like two seconds because this offensive line is extremely shaky and aaron Rodgers is the whole offense right now uh and so i i certainly think if the Jets said, hey, we're just not going to put Rodgers out there because we're, we're worried about him getting hurt, I would have totally understood that decision. But this decision has some, some wisdom as well. Do you think it is a, a marketing move a little bit from Aaron Rodgers? They are playing the New York Giants. I think there's, you know, if you watch Hard Knocks, I'll tell you this, Ben, you're not going to watch it, so I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. The opening of the episode, the first episode of the season, is basically a montage of Broadway Joe with a cut to Aaron Rodgers saying, this is our Broadway Joe. This is happening right. Super Bowl three season. It is 2023. Um, and it does feel like the Jets fans are trying to make the Giants fans put them on notice that this is their year to be the talk of the town kind of feels like Mets Yankees a little bit but the Jets are Mm -hmm. trying to put the Giants on notice do you think Aaron Rodgers is trying to do that as well to say it's time to watch the Jets and I'm the real show in town is this a New York move from Aaron Rodgers seems very calculated to me 
Yeah, I would say I, I don't think that's why they made the decision, but I don't think they mind that that's along for the ride. You know, <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I think that like even going back to the Jets decision to target Aaron Rodgers relative to someone like a Derek Carr has a lot to do with butts and seats, has a lot to do with ticket sales, has a lot to do with branding. And again, like that's not even a, a criticism because the thing that puts butts in seats is elite quarterbacking, and that also happens to be the thing that wins Super Bowls. So I don't mind it, um, but I definitely think that, yeah, like there is a bigness, a largeness to Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform that they just haven't had. I mean, like, man, Pennington wasn't even that, right? Like Sanchez was kind of like the Sanchez for a second, but everybody knew that was made up. Like it's been a hot second. Like you said, it's Broadway Joe they're putting in the footage. They would have liked to have somebody a little bit more recent they could have put in the footage, but yeah, get all the way back there to Namath. Uh, they they certainly feel as a franchise like they probably need an infusion of some of that, that, that star talent and uh, understandably so. Yeah, one last thing on Rodgers. Um, I was Googling to see where he was. You know, there's been a lot of headlines about Rodgers. This is probably my favorite one. This is 17 hours ago uh, from our taping. Quote, how the Treaty of Versailles led to the Jets landing Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this is the stuff that we're dealing with um, in the world of Aaron Rodgers right now. He is completely in control of that New York media machine. That is a perfect example of that. I don't know who else would have written a story like that without Aaron Rodgers putting it out there. Um, He is on fire, to say the least. Do you feel good about their win total, nine and a half wins? Are you thinking over for this Jets team? Are you a little bit more hesitant on buying into the hype? Uh. The Jets are a volatile team. They're a wide-range team, in, in my opinion. And that's a really hard team to take the over-under on. Um, if you are a Jets believer, I think it's a lot more rewarding. I think it's a lot more positive expected value to take Jets to win the division than it is to just take their over-under. And if you're a Jets mm-hmm. naysayer, which I kind of more so fall on that side, I'm worried about the offensive line. I'm worried about how Rodgers fits with new weapons. Uh, I think it's more interesting to take like Jets miss the playoffs, right? Both of those are giving you plus money relative to just having to bind to the juice of the win total because certainly the Jets like could very well end up nine and eight. But I think that like when I think of Jets outcomes, I tend to think of them as a like, all right, they're either 12 and five or five and 12 team, you know, like this either like works great or it doesn't work great and accordingly implodes. Uh, It's hard for me to see this. Rodgers goes to New York, ends up perfectly mediocre, and everybody's fine with it outcome. You know, like that, I, I think that, that that's unlikely. And so uh, I don't have a ton of Jets exposure. Uh, I tend to lean on the side of the under, tend to lean on the side of doubting them a little bit. But volatile teams, I, I'm not inclined to bet on them in the summer. I'm much more inclined to see them play a few games and then start figuring out what I want to do in terms of their, you know, running win totals or just betting them against the spread a certain week when we get into October. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I think Rodgers, um, he sounds like he's very happy. He's talking about, you know, years down the line, he wants to pass the baton to Zach Wilson, who's going to, yeah. he, he's trying to compare like those guys doing like a Favre and Rodgers type deal. He also followed, you know, Favre's footprints, you know, a little bit by going to the New York Jets right after the Packers. And he was only there for one year. So, like you said, even though Rodgers is saying all this stuff, we got to keep an eye on, on what's actually happening on the football field and we'll figure that out. All 
I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's move on. Let's push through here. Let's get to their offensive growth with Kenny Pickett. Are you buying into the hype uh, of this Steelers team? And if you look at their win totals, they're at eight and a half wins. So do you think it's worth buying into this team? And do you buy into Kenny Pickett 2.0? Yeah, in a vacuum, I like where the Steelers are headed. I thought Pickett played better over the course of the season. I thought he improved. And I also thought where he ended up, the quality of play he was producing in December, was above that which I expected a rookie Kenny Pickett to achieve. Um, the funny thing about Pickett is that he is a lot more of like a, a gamer, athletic guy, outside of structure, create, make a guy miss, you know, throw outside of the pocket than he was ever billed as at Pitt, right? They, they kind of like talked about him as this processor. It's not really how he plays. He doesn't play from the pocket. He likes to get out there, scramble, and, and, and play some backyard football. Well, you're worried about the athletic tools with Pickett because he's not like a Jalen Hurts mover, a Daniel Jones mover. But it turns out like he, it, it's good enough that he's getting it done out there. Uh, and, and with like you know the emergence of a George Pickens in that offense, Deontay mm. Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, you got a lot of weapons, right? There, 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 there's a way to get this done. So I liked what I saw. Now, once you widen the vacuum out to like, okay, well the AFC North's insanely good, and the AFC in general is insanely good. Oh, and also the offensive coordinator is Matt Canada, and like nobody in the entire world feels good about that except for Matt Canada. Then you're like, all right, like this is a this is a thin road, right? Like I think the Steelers look to me like a nine a ten win team. They look to me like an over team. And Mike Tomlin, as we very well know, does not produce teams under five hundred. So it feels like eight and a half is a nice juicy line. But there there are reasons to doubt, and it's largely not in the Steelers control, but it's some of the factors outside of the Steelers control. So generally I, I haven't, I haven't touched that line. I think it's correctly priced. I think if you're a Steelers fan, you're right to be, be feeling positive. Feel like you've got a good guy at quarterback. Feel like the arrow is pointing up, but you're going to need like someone else in the division to take a step back before you can, I think really start to like, you know, push for a division title. Yeah, Joe Burrow, even though he was, you know, going to be coming off that calf injury, he is still in that division and, you know, seemingly will have control of that division. And he has a great receiver on the outside with Jamar Chase. I wanted to ask about the combo of Pickett and Pickens because Kenny Pickett did say in his post game he's putting extra emphasis on building a rapport with Pickens. Do you like that combo? Do you believe that combo is going to flourish uh, this year with actually being able to get reps with each other? Yeah, so that that comment like goes to show you that Pickett gets it because mm-hmm. Ken, uh, uh, George Pickens, they're a very challenging duo to talk about. I resent <laughs> I you for asking me this question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> George Pickens, the wide receiver. Uh, it's funny, my dad's a Steelers fan and always gets the names wrong. He cannot keep mm-hmm. it straight who's who. But George Pickens, the wide receiver, is the sort of guy who will be a little bit more liberal in his route, won't be as exact in his timing, uh, you know, will even be covered, but still be open because he's so good in the contested catch. He's so good at adjusting. He's so good winning late in the route. He's the sort of receiver who you have to, as a quarterback, force yourself to give him an extra beat, an extra moment, an extra opportunity because he might not look open. He might not look like he's in the right part of the route that he should be in relative to your timing, but you just got to trust the guy's talent and kind of pay him off for, for, for his physical gifts and pay him off for his instincts and his intuition. Uh, Pickens gave a hilarious, wonderful interview to Kevin Clark, our writer here at The Ringer, where he was basically like, I'm just kind of the best wide receiver in the league. And it's like, are you aware of the wide receivers in the league, George? He's like, yeah, no, I get it. I am. Don't worry about it. Um, but he, the, the point that he's trying to make is he has such a unique blend of physical tools. And he has a case for that, right? And so I think Pickett is right to say, you know, I'm going to give George like the, the benefit of the doubt, this extra moment, build this extra relationship with him so I know how to throw it to him and when to throw it to him and to allow him to play that he wants to play the best. I think that, that'll help maximize Pickens, especially in year two, as he's still like getting his sea legs under him in the NFL. 
And it does feel like the Steelers, for whatever reason, they just find receivers and it just works out. And yeah. they always have a stable of receivers that you're, you're just like, where did this guy come from? Central Michigan, you know what I mean? And then they're all of a sudden the best receiver in football. Uh, Mike Tomlin, plus 1600 coach of the year. Do you think there's value there? Because, you know, if Kenny, you know, Pickett and Pickens have this big year together and the Steelers go and win, you know, 10, 11 games, it feels like Tomlin. I mean, he's been doing it for so long, that consistency, but he's doing it with a new quarterback, new regime and he's still giving you results, do you think there's a world in which he could win Coach of the Year? Yeah, but it, and, and again, it's, it's going to have to be that outcome in which the Steelers are winning double-digit games, right? You typically see mm-hmm. uh, when, when a guy wins Coach of the Year, they're coming in remarkably over their win total, right? Uh, the Sean McVay Rams, 11 games. The Matt Nagy Bears won 12 games with Trubisky. Remember that? That was a fun Ooh, time for everybody. Great time. Uh, Kevin Stefanski's first year, Ray Baker Mayfield wins 11 games. Like you're typically looking at a, at a guy who comes in multiple wins over their total. Uh, mm. I don't know if that's in the car for the Steelers just because the schedule is so challenging because of the division and the conference they play in. Like That's the, the part for me that's really hard to get to. If Tomlin, with this roster, wins 10 or 11 games. I will be screaming from the mountaintops that he should win Coach of the Year because this guy deserves to win Coach of the Year because he's such a good head coach. But we always have to divorce the title of the award, Coach of the Year, from what the award actually is, which is like coach whose team exceeded expectations slash he fixed a quarterback, right? Mm. Like that's, that's MVP is the same thing. Is it most valuable player? No, it's quarterback who produced a ton, who especially finished the season really strong. Like that's what these, these awards end up being. And so I like the, again, like I think Tomlin is one of the best coaches. I don't like him as much for a candidate to win coach of the year. That division, the AFC North in general, I mean, those four teams all kind of have an expectation, maybe outside of Pittsburgh, to win now. Lamar gets paid. The Ravens are thinking, okay, now we've we got Lamar taken care of. Let's take that next step. Let's get to Super Bowl, potentially. You got Joe Burrow who's trying to get back to the Super Bowl um, and, and win it this time around. Uh, you have the Cleveland Browns who went all the way in with Watson. They're trying to see um, the results uh, of that situation yeah. as soon as possible. And then you got the Steelers. So all four those teams you can kind of talk yourself into is there one team in the AFC North that you really like and think should win this division um, just based on the talent and is it obviously Cincinnati or am I you know just a little bit biased in that opinion yeah so it's funny like I brought the Lions are plus 145 to win the division right now in FanDuel the Bengals are plus 150 so mm. the books are more confident that the Lions are winning their division than the Bengals are winning theirs, which is kind wow. of bananas. Uh, the reason for that is the, is the contested nature, right? The reason is, is how challenging this division is. Uh, Baltimore at plus 210, you could get them at a much better price earlier in the season. I took it then. I would not take it now. I think that's the appropriate price. Baltimore is going to be good. The reason yeah. they're going to be good is because they're extremely well coached and they have a very good quarterback, right? Their quarter, they have a good head coach and a quarterback who's won MVP. Once you do that, you're just going to like win a lot of games. Defensively, they improved so much last season, and now you're retooling the wide receiver position, your new philosophy on offense. It's going to be ugly. There's going to be bumps. It's not going to be great at first. If they can get that plane off the ground in season, they, they can push the Bengals for this division. People forget, man, it took a 99-yard fumble return for a touchdown for the Bengals to beat the Tyler Huntley Ravens in the postseason. This Ravens team plays the Bengals very, very tough. So I think that it's really a two-horse race. I know there are folks who like the Browns. I can't get there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that 
you know, oh, Jim Schwartz is here. The entire defense is saved. I think that's a that's a that's a magic wand wave. I don't think it's that easy, that neat, that quick. I think they still have defensive problems. And then I have not seen Deshaun Watson play good football in a long time. Uh, he did not play good football last season. Was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I was there at camp for them. He was not throwing the football well. I watched their preseason games. He is not throwing the football well. Uh, I have no reason to believe that Deshaun Watson is just going to suddenly become the player he was in 2020. Uh, and the Browns are banking on that. And they're investing a ton of resources, wide receiver and coaching, into getting him to achieve that. But I'm not sure they do. And I think once you get to like a point in the season where Watson's not playing that well and you're around 500, you're going to start to feel urgent. You start to feel sweaty under the collar. Kevin Stefanski knows that his, his job's kind of on the line. You can see the Browns start to panic, right? And you see some firings and see some schematic changes. And I think that there's a way the ship sinks pretty quick. And so to me, two horse race there, uh, Cincinnati and, and Baltimore. But the, the Browns still have talent. are still going to be solid. And then the Steelers are still solid, still going to have talent. And those those teams always play each other tough, right? The Bengals have won the division the last two years. If they three-peat, it'll be the first time since 95 that a division winner has three-peated in the AFC North, which that's my lifetime right there. Uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll see. They always play each other tight. Yeah, I think uh, when you say it like that, it makes me believe that the Ravens are probably the quote-unquote best bet there just because I, I just feel like Lamar is 100% in. I really like that Ravens defense. Speaking of defenses, I want to talk about the top defenses in football. Um, do you have, like, uh, as you're trying to forecast what this season looks like, do you have top five defenses, your top five defenses that you think are going to end up being the top five in the league? Because we know at the end of the day, if you're going to go win a Super Bowl, it's better when you have Von Miller and a top five defense on your side, as we saw yeah. uh, back when the uh, Broncos played my Panthers in Super Bowl 50. We all learned that valuable lesson. Um, but w- what defenses do you expect to see this year to, to take it to that level? Yeah, we uh, on on the Ringer NFL feed. My, myself, and my co-host Shil Kapadia, we've done top five offenses, top five defenses. Right. We're doing awards this year. We're doing all the season preview gags you typically do. Uh, the top five defenses I gave, and that was like a prediction episode. Uh, I gave Dallas one, San Francisco two, Jets three. I think it'd be really hard for any of those three defenses to like really falter this year, really take a big step back. Just too much talent. Coaching's too good. Uh, at four, I had the Eagles, and at five, I had the Ravens. Do I think the Ravens are actually the fifth best defense in football right now? Eh, probably not. It's a good prediction, though. <laughs> I think there's a chance. Uh, the Patriots are probably better as it currently stands. Um, but it's uh, the Ravens have a lot of young talent, so there's a way that they get there. Um, the Eagles group is an interesting group, right? Lost a ton of guys, but no one who's like really a stud, no one who's really a, a, de- a decisive impact playmaker for that team. TJ Edwards, Kaiser White. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps, like those are the dudes who departed. And then Javon Hargrave, who Hargrave was really good. He was an impactful player, but they think that they can replace him at defensive tackle because they spent a first-round pick on Jordan Davis and another first-round pick on Jalen Carter, right? They feel like they can kind of plug and chug it. Uh, And so I I still think the Eagles are going to be good because I think the pass rush is so good and the secondary is so good. And then, yeah, like I said, Baltimore's got young players, but they really came along last year. Roquan Smith, man, Bears to the Ravens. That's one of the best trade deadline deals we've seen in the NFL in years Roquan and then Christian McCaffrey to the Niners like it's so rare in the NFL that trade deadline deals especially the big ones like actually work well and we had two in one season which was an absolute treat the Ravens were a top five uh, defense last year post Roquan Smith trades keep that momentum going and they have a chance to be so over the course of the whole season 
Yeah, I want to talk about, um, obviously, that Ravens defense is going to be great. But the Eagles, you know, Brandon Graham feels like he's sort of the face of that defense. And then on the other mm-hmm. side, you got Devontae Smith. Um, and then Jalen Hurts just signs the big, you know, the big Jordan deal. Uh, a lot of people are excited yeah. about that as well. But just with Philadelphia, if you look at their win total, 11 and a half wins, you said that they're your, you know, top five defense, number four for you. Um, do you expect the Eagles to be in that conversation? I mean, obviously, they go to the Super Bowl last year. Expectations are there anyway. But 11 and a half wins do you expect the over there do you think they're going to have another dominant regular season like we saw last year i do think that they're they're an over team even at 11 and a half they're prime for some regression uh, they were super healthy with injuries last season right they're, they're going to get banged up a little bit that's going to lose them some games but it's it's really hard to find five losses on the schedule like even when they get the tough games they get buffalo uh i think they, they yeah they get kansas city as well uh yeah, San Francisco. Like, yeah, there's, there's tough opponents, but they're going to be able to play those teams well. They have so much talent. They have so many ways to beat you, especially offensively. Uh, if you're looking for a reason to doubt, you're finding it in the coordinator changes, right? Jonathan Gannon leaves for the head coaching job in Arizona. He's replaced as the defensive coordinator by Sean Desai. Offensive coordinator Shane Steichen leaves for Indianapolis. He's replaced by Brian Johnson. So both your play callers, because head coach Nick Sirianni doesn't call plays, those guys are heading out right uh, and, and that's inherently going to bring some uncertainty i think so if you're, if you're looking for uncertainty if you're trying to figure out where the doubt is i think that's the spot uh the thing that i like the most for the eagles is uh taking them as last undefeated team which is obviously something that they were last season and mm. repeating that is kind of weird uh but they have a really light early season schedule a lot of their tougher games Dallas, San Francisco, Buffalo, Kansas City all come in the back half of the schedule. Uh, you watch this Eagles team through through September and October. You find the Patriots and the Buccaneers, like the Rams. You're thinking this team, yeah, they've got a great shot to, to start the season 6-0, 7-0, 7-0, 7-0, uh, So I do like finding ways to get uh, exposure on, on their season, especially when they're healthy, being that last win, uh, uh, undefeated team before we get to that really tough stretch in November. Yeah, and they have the second best odds to win the Super Bowl at plus 800. The Chiefs are the favorite at plus 600. Is there a team outside of those top two that you feel like at the end of the day you can close your eyes and you can see them holding the Lombardi trophy? Because I think a lot of people are trying to talk themselves into certain teams, but is there a team that you're like, they kind of check every box and I could see them kind of, is it the or the 49ers? Uh, you know, are they a team like that that could do that? Is there a team for you that you see? Yeah, so 49ers, like, I certainly can. Uh, I think bigger. You got a dream, Tate. Come on. Mm, uh, I like a dream. Miami Dolphins, plus 2,100. Any takers? <laughs> any interest? Uh, the Dolphins are going to be really good. Uh, now, let's caveat that. When the Dolphins have a healthy quarterback, they're going to be really good. And what you're wondering is how many games are they going to have a healthy quarterback? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. What I can tell you is that if they get 17 games out of Tua, this team's got a great shot to win the AFC East. Uh, I would expect them to be like a 12-win team. Uh, and then their playoff run will be conditional on, okay, can the defense steal one for them, right? And how well can Mike McDaniel kind of game plan now that teams have seen his offense for a year? I have a lot of trust in McDaniel. And then defensively, there's no better coach right now. Like, everybody is running the Vic Fangio system, and he took a massive deal to go coordinate the Dolphins' defense. They have a, a great, great glut of talent on defense. It's so quiet because, like, the Brian Flores years were weird. And then, like, there's the two of focus and everything. But, like, they've just been steadily collecting. Jalen Phillips, Jerome Baker, Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Cater Kohu. They've got uh, David Long in free agency from Tennessee. They've got uh, Zach Sealer and uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Raekwon Davis, Christian Wilkins. Like, there's this, like, everybody I just named is 
comfortably above average at their position in the NFL, right? Or Kaderko, who isn't. Most of the players I named are comfortably <laughs> above average at their position in the NFL. They have so much rock-solid talent. Now you get a rock-solid defensive coordinator in there. If they can get Jalen Ramsey back midseason, which that injury did hurt my Dolphins' futures a little bit. That took some wind out of my sails. But I'm still a believer. Uh, they get Jalen Ramsey back midseason. I think they have a great shot uh, to be an impactful defense, impactful offense, and make a legit run in the AFC. So I, I love uh, Dol- Dolphins plus 2100. That's the same odd as the Lions, man. you got to grab that. Yeah, and also, I mean, in general, when you talk about the Dolphins, I mean, they have a guy, Tyreek Hill, that is trying to promise people that, you know, to watch out for him for getting 2,000 receiving yards. So you you have an, you know, an all-time playmaker on your team. And, you know, is it really dependent on Tua? Can they do it without Tua? Do, do they have to have Tua healthy to make this happen? How do you feel about Mike White? I like Mike White, but you know who else I really like? <laughs> the guy that lives in Miami named Tom Brady. Oh, stop it now. That's who I really like. I think the, I think the Dolphins at plus 2,100 with the idea that Tom Brady's ready to step in at any point is where I feel good. This is the Tom Brady that's a part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders? That's the yeah, one he's going to be hopping can, in and playing you for can the Dolphins? Al- you, can always sell your, you can always get out of there. You can always, yeah. tell, you can always call Mr. Davis and say, unfortunately, I got, I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, sorry, I'm going to have to sell the stock. Um, I, I think that the whole offensive philosophy, the whole offensive philosophy, is built around two strengths and weaknesses. So, like when they have to do, stick a different quarterback in there, it is a little weird. Um, with that said, I think you could get your head around Brady really quick. But I'm not holding my breath to see Tom Brady back in the National Football League. I had to endure that for over two decades. I'm done with it. I need a year off. I don't want to leave on a sour note, but I have to ask um, in general because you are a Philly guy. Um, you know, we got a little extra time here. So uh, James Harden, there's a, there's a huge saga going on. Uh, I, of course, you know this. Uh, you're, you're keeping up with this. But I wanted to get your thoughts on Harden. Okay, well, firstly, I don't appreciate being asked about James Harden. I was told to come on to do football content, and I get ambushed it by It wasn't me, question. Ben. I promise no. it was not me. Yeah, it, they, it, was, they higher, it, in the it was higher up. They were like, anytime... Yeah. Anyone from Philly comes on any Ringer show, we have to ask them about James Harden. I don't want to torture you on the way out. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you uh, helping break down some of this preseason stuff. Before we finally get into the NFL season, uh, thanks so much. We'll have you back on as NFL football actually happens. Get ready. uh, Take a deep breath. And uh, thanks again for coming on through the Ringer, man. No, I appreciate it. Excited for the season.